See, we have a problem today, by and large, where more and more youth are leaving the church. And this isn't a new problem. It's not like the youth of this generation are the worst. No, it's been going on for decades, and it's just getting worse. And there's a study done. What's the number one thing that causes youth to stick around in faith after they graduate? Do you want to know what it was? It's not me. I promise. The number one thing that causes the next generation to walk in faith is a minimum of five significant relationships with adults who are not their parents and are not on staff. Which means it doesn't matter how much Adam or I invest in children, it's not going to mean nearly as much as if you did. It doesn't matter how much we say, let's care for our homeless neighbors, I promise you we cannot by ourselves love every one of them fully. But you and I together, working as a team, saying, look, so that we can be devoted to teaching the word and sharing this word and even bringing this word to you in your times of need, sitting at your bedside when you're in the hospital or before surgery or as you grieve the loss of a loved one, bringing you this comfort that says, God will heal every wound. Let me show you what he's promised in scripture. If we can devote ourselves to this, you guys can devote yourselves to whatever else comes up. We will be a church that reaches those who don't know God loves them because you have an important role to play. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. We are continuing in the book of Acts. We're almost done with this series, not with the book. We're going to leave it on a cliffhanger and come back to it later. But as we've been going through the book of Acts, we see the early church is filled with all kinds of spectacular things. Faith in a God who rescues them from prison. Faith in a God who rose Jesus from the dead and the boldness to say whatever it takes to go to whomever needs to hear to share with all that this Jesus who was crucified is risen and this Jesus is forgiving and healing still today. And we see in the church all kinds of great moments where they're growing in great numbers. In fact, the people are living unlike anything I've ever seen. Rather than saying, how much do you want, they're asking the question, what's it going to take for everybody in our community to have what they need? What's it going to take for everybody in our community to have all their needs met? And they're loving and serving in such a way that some are voluntarily selling everything to give to the church to care for each other. Imagine being a part of that community. A community that loved so much that there was no limit to where they would go or what they would do for you. 
Imagine being a part of that community. And imagine being somebody in that community feeling left out. See, when we read the book of Acts, it's easy to see all the really cool and great things and skip right past some of the hard things. Today in this chapter, we see that even then, when they were this really wonderful community who loved and served far more than I've ever witnessed myself, even then, sometimes favoritism neglected some. Sometimes in their us versus them, there is division and people were left out in their very midst. What did they do and how did they handle that? Acts chapter 6, if you'd like to follow along, it's on page 1141 in the blue Bibles in front of you or upstairs off to the sides. If you have your own Bible, I have no idea what page it's on. (laughs) Acts chapter 6. If you remember the very previous chapter, they were arrested and beaten and threatened because they were talking about Jesus. And they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer. And immediately after that moment comes this story. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. First, let me unpack this a little bit. A complaint arose in the church. If you've spent any amount of time in church, you'll know this happens a lot. Right? Somebody feels slighted. Somebody feels like their needs weren't met and it wasn't good for them. How come you did this or how come you did that? And here it's the Hellenists against the Hebrews. A, a little bit of background for you. The Hellenists were those who were Greek-speaking Jews. People who had embraced the culture or some would say given in to the culture. People who, like the rest of the community, didn't speak exclusively Hebrew but instead spoke Greek. And part of that speaking Greek included doing things in the culture and in the world, like maybe eating meat sacrificed to idols, that would offend a true Jewish person. And so we see pretty quickly here the Hellenists versus the Hebrews. There's a division in the church, some who are and some who are not, and some who think that their way is better, and those Greek-speaking commoners are not as good. And there's this complaint that arises that the widows are being neglected. You see, throughout the Old Testament, there is a call to the people of God. Over and over and over again, their responsibility in everything they do is to care for the orphan and the widow. And the reason for this is the orphan and the widow have no one to care for them. They're to be the the most loving, caring people for those who are most desperate and vulnerable. And there are some who are saying they're being neglected and overlooked. Perhaps it was a simple error. Maybe nobody realized they were being neglected. Maybe it was purposeful. Maybe there was a sense of if we take care of those people, we won't have enough to take care of our people. Who knows? But the Hellenists arise against the Hebrews and say, how come our widows aren't being cared for? You see, when they would gather all the money together, when they would sell their stuff and give it to the church, the church was not using that money to pay Peter's salary. They weren't using that money to build giant statues and cathedrals, though they did very early on build church buildings. They were using that money to care for one another. 
He said, how come some of us are being less cared for than others? Now, I don't know if you know this, being a pastor and hearing the complaints of the people sometimes is really exhausting. Sometimes you hear the complaints like, again, you're bringing this up? Is this really still an issue? And other times you hear the complaints and your heart just kind of hurts like, how can we be this far broken and not where we need to be? And I imagine in this case, there would be some heartache, right? There are some being neglected who are supposed to be cared for. We're failing in our love for our very own community. And this complaint rises. And so the 12 gather together in verse two. And the 12 summoned, that would be the 12 apostles. They summoned the full number of the disciples. They had their first church council meeting. Okay, congregation, we need to talk we have a problem, what are we gonna do about it? How are we gonna resolve this problem? They gather them all and they say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. I gotta tell you, when I first read that, that's kind of a harsh thing to say, right? Like when I read it, what I hear initially is, serving these hungry peoples beneath us, we have more important things to do. But I don't think that's at all what they're saying here. And I don't think that because of what happens next. He says, look, we've been given a task and we would be neglecting our responsibility to set this task aside and do this very important thing. See, when it comes to our faith, there will always be more to do than you and I can ever do on our own. And one of the temptations, I believe, of the devil is to keep us so busy chasing our tails that we never do any of the things we're called to do well because we're doing everything poorly. And so the disciples, they say, look, we cannot give up our responsibility to preach the word in order to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Peter and the disciples, they don't look and say, look, that's not important. We're doing something more important. They say, you're right. All need to be treated equally. Everybody needs to be cared for regardless of where they come from or their habits or their practices that maybe we don't all agree with. Everybody needs to be loved. And then our responsibility of preaching the word, we can't do everything. I don't know if you know this or not, pastors cannot do everything. Did you know that? In some places, pastors act like they can do everything and think that they can do everything and they often also think that they know everything and therefore their word is always the right word and their answer and solution is always the best one and in those places where the pastor acts like he knows everything and can do everything, do you know what happens? Most of the time, people let him. They let him try to do everything. And they say, well, that's not our job. That's the pastor's job. And this is what that looks like quite simply. Have you ever invited a pastor over for dinner and then said, hey, pastor, since you're here, will you pray? It's your house. Why don't you pray? <laughs> God answers your prayers just the same. I promise. Or it's like, hey, pastor, I don't know if you know this, but like, there's no toilet paper in the bathroom. That's a problem. Do you know where the toilet paper's at? I can show you, I can even tell you, you're more than welcome to change the toilet paper. That's, that's okay. In some places, there's this idea that it's the pastor's job to do everything, 
And the pastor wants that idea. Because if it's the pastor's job to do everything, he's really, really important. And I need you to hear this. And Adam, I need you to hear this. As a future pastor, I'm not that important. And you're not either. See, the truth is Peter and the disciples, these apostles, they weren't the ones that were most important. In fact, every one of them was replaceable. And do you know how I know that? Because they were replaced. That's how we're still here. None of them are here preaching the word today. Somebody else took their place. And if the pastor has to do everything, not only do they become irreplaceable, the people become useless. See, being the church is about you and I together proclaiming this good news for those who are hurting. You and I together sharing with those who are disconnected the love of God and caring for their every need. And if it's my job or Adam's job, we may do some, but we will certainly not do enough. And so Peter and the disciples, they say, look, here's what we need. We need seven men who are of good, uh, uh, where is it at? good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we'll appoint to this duty. Peter wisely recognizes, look, this job is really important, but we can't do it. Who can? And they appoint seven men. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. I skipped a verse. Maybe you noticed, maybe you didn't. If you weren't following along, maybe you had no idea. Their solution to this, let's find men who can do this important task. Why? Here's what I skipped. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Peter and the apostles who had been with Jesus, they saw how Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead, how he fed the hungry and he clothed those who were naked. They saw all of his acts of compassion and mercy. And they said, these things need to be done, but we can't do them. Why? Maybe you remember a little bit the story of Peter. Peter was the disciple who walked with Jesus and who with Jesus blew it time and time again. In fact, Peter is the one who when Jesus said, I'm going to die, Peter says, no, 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 that's not the way this is going to work, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. What strong words directed at Peter. And Peter's the one who three times denies Jesus and goes and weeps in his sorrow. And Peter's the one that after the resurrection still doesn't quite believe it. And Peter's the one in the Gospel of Luke who Jesus comes to and says, do you love me? And three times Peter says, I do. And do you know what charge Jesus gives to Peter? Well, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. This is the charge Jesus gives to Peter. So he says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer to the ministry of the word. See, there is a truth that you and I often ignore or maybe are just blind to. 
We live in a world where this is readily available to every one of us. How many of you have Bibles at home that you've never opened and they just collect dust, but they look really pretty? Anybody? Like obviously you have the one you read all the time, but you also have like 17 other versions. Did you know that your pastor does not need more Bibles? Because oftentimes people like giving pastors Bibles, so Adam soon is gonna have a whole bunch of Bibles you can only read one at a time. Maybe you're going to cross-reference with some others, but still, generally, just one. We have a culture that has become so inundated with God's word, we forget what it means to hold God's word and to have it and to love it and to be fed by it. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and he'd been 40 days without food and Satan comes and says, here, turn these stones into bread. Jesus responds, man does not live by bread and water alone, but the very word of God. You see, this word has become so normal to us that it's lost most of its power. For many of us, it's just a book worth reading, maybe some really inspirational things we put on our walls out of context, but we don't know that because we don't really read it to begin with. And many times, it's just a thing we do out of habit. But what if this word is so much more? What if it's not just inspiration or how to live a good life or be a good person? What if it's the very words of God himself for us? You want to know what God wants in your life? Well, he's already shared it with you. You want to know what he's doing in your life or what he expects of you? He's already told you. And what if his word actually began to feed our hearts and our souls? We wake up in the morning, and if you're anything like me, the first thing you need in the morning is what? No, you got to go to the bathroom. And the second thing you need (laughs) is coffee. And then after you have your coffee, maybe after your coffee, you sit down for some breakfast. And, and, And as you're eating breakfast, you open up your phone and you play Wordle for the day. Or you read some news or you check your social media, and like 45 minutes later, you've done nothing to get ready, but you really have no idea what you did for that time sitting there staring aimlessly at your phone. And then you get up and frantically hurry out the door because you're late because you were so busy doing something that not only left you empty, but it left you distracted and maybe worried and anxious and stressed. What if this word is actually intended to be devoured and eaten? I, I don't mean you should tear pages out and put them in your cereal. I don't think that'll help much. But, but what if this word was actually God's word to you. And he was sitting there across the table at breakfast. Like, if you were sitting down for a cup of coffee and Jesus is sitting there, would your wordle still be interesting? I hope not. Would your news about what problems happening in this world still be the most important thing? I hope not. See, we have become so inundated with this word that it's so lost its power. But Hebrews says that it is like a two-edged sword that it cuts us to the core. If you want to know what God's doing, be in his word. Take enough time to actually say, God, I don't always live up to your standard and I also don't always want to. Or, Or God, I'm hearing all these lies about how I'm not worth it and yet you over and over and over again say I'm worth everything. Help me to reconcile the difference. If we begin to see his word as important to feed our every daily lives, 
we'll begin to meet Jesus in ways we never expected. For Peter and the disciples and the apostles, it was not that caring for those in need was not important. They said, we really need to do that. But we also need to share this word with people who don't know it. See, in Peter's day, it wasn't written down, and the ones that were written were very hard to come by because to carry a giant scroll or parchment was very difficult. Did you know that Christians actually invented the modern-day book? The earliest books we have were the Gospels recorded so that Christians could easily carry them from place to place to share with people this good news, this hope that we have. He said, look, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. What does this mean for us today? Well, I think quite honestly, in many times and in many places, the pastor becomes the CEO. Like if this building gets a leak in the roof or the air conditioning goes out, do you know who calls to make it fixed? Me. And if we need a doorknob fixed or a light socket swapped out, do you know who takes care of that? Keith, not me. <laughs> Keith shows up every, every Monday and says, what do you need? And I'm like, that doorknob's not working. He says, okay, I'll take care of it. And if somebody's just had a baby, like Micah and Aaron House right now are in the hospital as she's in labor, do you, do you know who delivers a meal? Hopefully, you. And all of us together can say, hey, I can play a role and do something. See, we often think that I don't know enough in faith, or maybe I'm not qualified, or my past actually, I can't lead youth because you should have seen what I was like in my youth. Look, I know what you were like in your youth because I know what I was like in my youth. We were all dumb and stupid. We just didn't have social media to prove it. So maybe, maybe you're just the person to pour into the high schooler or the teenager or the junior high student and say, look, I, I've been where you're at and I know it's really hard to be in eighth grade. I love you. It'll be okay. See, if you and I do this, more importantly, if you do this, the word's going to stick. See, we have a problem today, by and large, where more and more youth are leaving the church. And this isn't a new problem. It's not like the youth of this generation are the worst. No, it's been going on for decades, and it's just getting worse. And there's a study done. What's the number one thing that causes youth to stick around in faith after they graduate? Do you want to know what it was? It's not me. I promise. The number one thing that causes the next generation to walk in faith is a minimum of five significant relationships with adults who are not their parents and are not on staff. Which means it doesn't matter how much Adam or I invest in children, it's not going to mean nearly as much as if you did. It doesn't matter how much we say, let's care for our homeless neighbors, I promise you we cannot by ourselves, love every one of them fully. But you and I together, working as a team, saying, look, so that we can be devoted to teaching the word and sharing this word and even bringing this word to you in your times of need, sitting at your bedside when you're in the hospital or before surgery or as you grieve the loss of a loved one, bringing you this comfort that says, God will heal every wound. Let me show you what he's promised in scripture. If we can devote ourselves to this, 
And you guys can devote yourselves to whatever else comes up. We will be a church that reaches those who don't know God loves them. Because you have an important role to play. So I'm going to end with this. Is God's word feeding you today? If not, let Adam and I invest in you with that. Not that you can't be in the word on your own. Come and ask us for help. Where do I start? What do I do? What's next? Let us help you take that next step. And then in turn, as you take that next step, who do you need to love? Who do you need to care for? What light sockets can you change or meals can you cook or toilet paper can you replace so that we together can love and serve all who are disconnected? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you. Your church is bigger than me. God, we thank you that Adam and I are both replaceable. There will come a day when there's a different pastor here in my stead and in his stead. And yet your word will continue. You nourish our souls with the very words that you speak. And you have called us together to be a community who sees the needs. And instead of saying, who will take care of this? We rise up and say, let it be me, Lord. God, I pray that we would be in this place, a church where every person has a role. Something they can give to someone in need. Be that their time or their energy or their love or their encouragement or their finances. God, may we be a church where every one of us sees the impact we can make. That together we connect those who are far from you. We walk in your love and your kindness. And this city knows that you are real. And this good news is true. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our worship, we're going to collect an offering. For those of you who were here last week or joining us on live stream, perhaps uh, you heard me say that we have a lot of moms with little babies at the moment and a lot of little babies on their way. And so we are in the process of turning in uh, what used to be my office into a, a mother's room, a space where if you would like some more privacy while you feed your baby, you can have some. And I said that to do this, to paint it and to get some furniture and decorate, it's going to be about $1,400. And uh, so far, you guys have collectively raised about $1,200. So thank you. That's really exciting. We are already on our way to making a long list of things for Keith to do to make the space look nice. If you would like to join Keith, maybe if you like to paint more than he does, please let me know. He would appreciate that because that's not high on his list of things he enjoys. Uh, as we collect an offering today, though, we believe that we give in this place to join God in the work that he's doing, to say, this is a way I can partner in the sharing of this good news for my community. So if you came prepared to give today with cash or check, or if you filled out one of those physical Connect cards, you can place it in the popcorn buckets as you exit. They'll be right there by the back door. And if you prefer to give online and you came prepared to do so that way, you can give at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Now, one of those upcoming events is a little bit biased. Everybody's welcome, but I really want you guys to listen up specifically, okay? One of those upcoming events is coming up on the 18th, so in a week and a half. 
Adam, do you play poker? I do, but I'm not very good. Cool. Can you sit at my table? Yeah. So you can awesome. take my money? So the point is actually sponsoring a poker night on the 18th of August, and it's in partnership with the Community Coalition Against Human Trafficking. It'll be at Schultzbrow. Women and men are both welcome, but part of the goal is we're trying to help raise awareness amongst men uh, for what human trafficking is and how we all have a responsibility to say enough's enough. And so if you have guys in your life that like playing poker and having a drink and having some appetizers that will be provided, I would strongly encourage you to uh, invite them to join you to come on out, play some poker for the evening. It'll be a lot of fun and hopefully a great opportunity to uh, share with somebody new what human trafficking is and what we can do about it. So uh, I would love for you to sit at my table for that. There is a cash prize, so that'd be great. Yeah. Cool, I'll do it. All right, every week we invite questions uh, and I do my best to respond. Next week he's preaching, so next week he gets to respond, so give the hard ones then, okay? What questions came in today? So two prayer requests, one question, one comment. You want me to start with the prayer request? Go for it. All right. It says, please pray for my Uncle Steve as he is no longer in pain, but his earthly existence leaves an emptiness in the hearts of our family. I learned this morning that Steve passed away today. So, yes, let's, let's pray real quick. Is there another prayer request? Or is that the uh, there's a prayer request for teachers, one specifically from a teacher, and I'll just read that one real quick. It says, please pray for teachers as we are starting this new school year. So many of us are feeling discouraged and overwhelmed, law changes, shortages, and attacks where school starts tomorrow for most folks. So. Awesome. Well, let's, let's real quick pray for both of those. Uh, God, we thank you for the life that Steve lived. We thank you that he is now resting with you, and we thank you for the promise of the resurrection. Uh, help us to grieve as those who grieve with hope, believing in your promises and the things that you are doing. And help us, Lord, to hold fast to faith even in difficult times. And we pray for teachers who are given a task uh, far great, too great for most of us to handle, a task of teaching and leading and shaping and forming these youth, uh, often under-resourced and understaffed and overworked. Give them strength, give them peace, and equip them with everything they need to do this work you've set before them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Question. It says, my grandma is a Christian and goes to church and tells people why they should only believe in one God. My question is, do you think she should let other people believe if there is no God or more? Monotheism, polytheism. At the heart of this question comes another question. Do you believe what Jesus says is true? Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so if you believe what Jesus says is true, it's also important to believe that this message we have is not just one of good life and happiness and peace and prosperity right now. In fact, none of that's promised. This message we have is an eternal one. No matter how hard it is to hear, there is no other God. It's just him. And so we have a responsibility in love and in truth to share this with people. And so I say in love and truth because I would not encourage the good old-fashioned Bible beating, you know, let me beat you into heaven or, or argue my way into convincing you to believe. But let's just lovingly share with all people, hey, there's only one God and he has no other name. It's just Jesus. All right? Yep. The last is a comment. It says, feeling so grateful for the point today, 
Thank you for being a place where we can come as we are. It is so refreshing to bring my imperfect self to an imperfect place and bask in God's grace with you all. Hey, you're welcome. Uh, let me tell you, the more imperfect you are, the more you fit in here, I promise, okay? Uh, chief of sinners, though Adam be, I am certainly worse than he, okay? It's fine. You're in good company. Was that it? Uh, that's it. We also have uh, youth meeting after church immediately up in the tap room. We've got pizza. We're going to be walking through the commandments, learn that it's not good to kill other people, and we should honor our mother and our father. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, I would agree with both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Those are all the questions and comments. Awesome. That was really easy. Thanks for saving the hard ones for next week. Um, please, you can send them in all week long. You don't even have to wait till Sunday, okay? Before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.